It is. It, <laughs> I've been trying to delay this start to Romans for quite a long time, but um, uh, fortunate for me, I've got people like Steve and Mike around me saying, no, Richard, start it, go for it, it's time. And it is time, and it's a bank holiday weekend, and what better time to do this than now? I don't know why there's a dishcloth there. So let, get your Bibles, church. We're going to kind of introduce uh, Romans to you now. It really is. Many of you will have been reading it for years, but it kind of is a, um, it's a powerhouse. It's the gospel of God. It's the gospel of Christ. It unpacks all of these rich themes that we love so much. But before we begin, if someone has found it in the church Bibles, could you shout out the page number in case anyone is struggling? 1128. We're going to read through Romans chapter 1. That's pretty much it, really. It speaks for itself in many ways. Um, Yesterday was a really memorable day for me. I went to the football, and Taunton scored a last-minute winner. Hooray. 3-2. Steve was there as well, but we didn't see each other. And uh, in, the, in the home fan section, there was a drummer, just beating away on his drum occasionally. Brilliant he was. Then in the evening, I went to the concert in the park. Not all of it. I went to see one of my favorite bands called The Feeling. And um, I love their uh, music. And they've got a brilliant drummer as well. But didn't Israel do well today here? Hey, <laughs> I... It was, I, I, was, I was staggered at how good that was. Thanks so much for doing that, Israel. That was really brilliant, by the way. Are you embarrassed? No. Good, 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 good. We really appreciated that. Uh, the, the other musicians were all right, you know. Okay, here we go. Romans. I might make some comment as I go through. We're going to read the whole of the first chapter. I want you to stick with it. I want you to notice uh, repetition when an idea or a word is repeated. I want you to notice buzzwords, significant words. Paul is building his case uh, to uh, a church in a city that he did not begin. He didn't start this church himself. We'll come to that in a moment. But let's read this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you are also among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. 
And I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written in the prophet Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. Take a deep breath. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse." For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, uh, human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts, Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. So that, they, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips and slanderers and God-haters and insolent and arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil, They disobey their parents, 
They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. This is the word of the Lord, church. We're not far away as a culture, maybe that time is here now, where I could go to prison for reading that out. This is describing our times in so many ways, is it not? But I want to share a couple of things. I have a couple of quotes as well. They're going to come up on the slides. If you do the next one for me, I want to just share something about the, um, the overall shape of, not that one, the overall shape of Romans, just to get it in your mind that Paul wanted Romans as a letter, by the way, the longest letter in the New Testament, and the longest letter that survives from the ancient world. It's an absolute miracle, uh, and, and given the fact that it's so responsible for so much change in human society, this is the shape and structure of the whole, um, the whole letter. It has a simple shape. There's a, the first section is about sin. The second section is about salvation. The third se- Thank goodness it's all S's. It reminds us of the snake that Steve was talking about earlier. The third section is about sanctification. And then there's a section, Romans 9, 10, and 11, where Paul is agonizing about his people, the Jewish people, and that's under sovereignty. And then, of course, okay, from chapter 12 onwards, so what? What does all this mean? Then we get four chapters on service. This is what it looks like to come under the gospel of God in uh, the context of Romans. Now go to the, uh, the Jonathan... Wager, no, the Jonathan Edwards quote. We bring something to our salvation, but for years we've been told that we don't bring anything. But we bring our sin that makes salvation necessary. Jonathan Edwards, the only thing you create for your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. Isn't that great? Let's go to the next one. This is from my former mentor, David, not David Blake at the back, David Coffey. I had fun with this. had to choose quotes from people who had names in the church. He says, Romans is like a spiritual blood transfusion for the church. And, and other, other Christians from down the ages, Martin Luther said, we should read this every day. We should allow this text to be part of our own very DNA. It is so rich. Have I got anything else to say on that? Yeah, go, go to the next one. Paul wrote because there was an occasion that the letter needed writing. Paul was in Corinth in the late 50s AD, and he wanted to express his need for the Roman church to support him on his missionary trip to Spain. And so he's writing to commend himself, and to commend himself, he has to outline the gospel that he preaches. So Romans is probably the most fullest articulation of that gospel. So Paul writes from Corinth in the late 50s, and they're the reasons why he's writing. Now, he's trying to get to Spain. He wants the Roman church to support him. So it's about the missionary work, and Bob prayed for our missionary um, venture here in this church. Paul's introducing himself too. He doesn't know who these people are as a collection of churches. The most significant thing is that there are tensions in the church 
between Jew and Gentile. Now, in AD 49, we read that uh, Claudius chucked out the Jews from Rome, which creates a vacuum. And nature abhors a vacuum. So the church went from being Jewish Christians. When was the Roman church founded, by the way? Anybody want to hazard a guess? Acts 2. There were Jews from all over the Roman world, including Rome. So the gospel went back to Rome, and the church, the churches in Rome, began to grow. Then there was a problem in the Jewish church in Jerusalem. Should Paul be preaching the gospel to the Gentiles? Or should the Gentiles, if they come to faith in Jesus, become Jewish? That was the whole debate around uh, Acts 15 and the Council of Jerusalem. Paul won that argument. And so the gospel went out with the blessing of the Jerusalem church to the Gentile world without them required to follow Jewish law. So the Gentiles start coming into the church. And the Jews didn't like the Gentiles. And the Gentiles didn't like the Jews. And so the tensions arose. But then there were big, riotous debates in the streets of Rome. And Claudius was sick to death of it. And in fact, a Roman historian, Suetonius, said there were riots at the instigation of Crestus. What does that sound like to you? Christos. Who is that referring to? Christ. All these arguments between the Jews and the Gentiles about the, probably the, the significance of Jesus, what it meant, how to interpret the Gospels, how to interpret the, the coming of the Son of God, etc., etc. So Claudius said, right, enough. All you Jews, out. So from a Jewish church to a Jewish and Gentile church with tensions that arose to, a, to now just a Gentile church, what's going to happen when the Jews were finally allowed back into Rome just a few years later? The Jews ruled the roost at the start. Now the Gentiles ruled the roost. And they came together in this unique clash of cultures and civilizations. I've written down what the Jews said about the... I've only got it in written note form here. What the Jews said about um, the Gentiles. They, they had an idea of Jewish exceptionalism. America has that idea today in its imperialism around the world. It believes that it is exceptional and that that exceptionalism is given to it by God. The British had it in the British Empire period. We believed we were exceptional. The Jewish people, for all the right biblical reasons, believe that they're exceptional. And so there's a despising towards everything that is Gentile. Do you remember in the conversation of Jesus with um, the, the woman at the well? He's talking to this Samaritan, a half-Jew, not even a total Gentile, but a half-Jewish woman. And the disciples come back, and they're shocked. What are you doing talking to her? 
Do you remember that conversation? This was a really powerful cultural thing going on. The Jews had no dealings with other nations. The Gentiles, though, the things they said (gasps) would make your ears curl. They called the Jews a company of lepers. It's terrible language. The Gentiles believed that if the Jews ate pork, then they would get skin diseases, which is why they don't eat pork. They believed that the Jewish laws on Sabbath, by the way, something Paul never talks about actually in Romans, for good reason, right? Because the Gentiles believed that Sabbath was pure laziness. Now let me, I, I can test this right now. We live in a wired culture for activism. And our Protestant churches are the best of the best. As the French say, the cream of the cream. We're good at this stuff. How often have you leapt to your feet when caught reading a book, sitting down relaxing, just to look busy? Lazy Sabbath keepers. See, it's in our blood, right? The the Jewish privileges given to the Jews in Rome by the Roman Empire really irritated the Gentiles. They weren't conscripted into the army. Why? Because they wouldn't fight on the Sabbath. You can't have a marching army that chooses not to fight one day of the week. How lazy are they for not fighting on the Sabbath? They were allowed a tax exemption, which really irritated the Gentiles. They were allowed to send money that they should have paid in taxes to Rome back to Jerusalem. And the thing that really stuck in their throats was this lack of an idol in the temple. They just thought the Jews were atheists. There is no God. So they... So when we talk about Jewish and Gentile tensions coming into the church, this is the reason why Paul is writing to the Roman church to try and untangle this, to try and prove and demonstrate that the gospel of God and his righteousness, which we'll come to in more detail later, brings together in in gospel peace, not a shallow peace of who was it who waved the papers? Chamberlain, was it, uh, when he went to try and negotiate with Hitler? What do they call that? Peace, peace where there is no peace. A false peace. That's not a gospel peace. This is where there is genuine tension in relations between people, groups, and individuals. And we have all suffered with uh, relational tensions at one point or another, with one person or another, in some way or other. So that's kind of it, really. But it would be a huge mistake not to mention a couple of other things. The word righteousness, as in the righteousness of God, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteousness that God gives or bestows is mentioned in this letter 33 times. Why? Because it's the solution to the problem. Now, you notice on the five S's, sin, salvation, sanctification, sovereignty, and service, you'll notice that it begins with sin, but that's slightly misleading. 
Because I think this is one of the beautiful things about the gospel of God. We often start with sin in our gospel preaching sometimes, but it's a mistake. Because sin wasn't the first thing, and it shouldn't be the first thing we start with. What happens before? In the first few verses, up to verse uh, 18, Paul is commending them for their faith and their love and their missionary activity and their endeavor and their activism. They're doing something brilliantly. They're doing something amazingly well. That's, that's because of the goodness of God. So what always comes first before sin, praise God, is God's goodness. How do I know that and how can I back that up? What do we have before Adam and Eve fell in the garden? A good creation. God's goodness pouring out in sun, moon, and stars, in animals and plants and fish and birds. And then the creation of man. And then he said, I can do better than that. And then Eve, the woman. Little joke there. God could do better than that, so he created... Oh, it not matter. And God said, it's very good. So we have this exceptional statement made about humanity and about the world. And so it's righteous because God is good and his love endures forever. And he's declared that it is good. And so the key verse as we go through this is obviously verses 16 and 17. So Paul says, look, I thank my, in, in verse 8 he said, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, Jew and Gentile. You're not meant to be separate. You're not meant to be separated. You're meant to be together. This is the kingdom of God's work. So I'm doing this, I'm saying this for all of you, Jew and Gentile, so that we may be, he says in verse 12, mutually encouraged. It's not just Paul giving out, like me being here. It's not just me giving out. I want to be mutually encouraged by your faith. By your faith. Because the righteous shall live by faith. And Jesus said, anything that doesn't proceed from faith is sin. That means Everything has to proceed from faith. Everything. So we have to ask a question. What is faith? What is biblical faith? A few years ago, I invented this term that biblical faith is biblically found. God defines A, what love is, what righteousness is, what mercy is. God, through the scriptures, defines what faith is. It's about acknowledging God for who he is not falling for the great lie of the world, which is idolatry, which is where Paul is going next. So he says in verse 16, listen, you're doing all of this well, but I, as a Jew and a missionary to the Gentiles, I am not ashamed of this gospel because it is the dunamis, the power of God to everyone who believes, Jew or Gentile. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Then Paul immediately starts talking about the wrath of God and unrighteousness. Because anything that doesn't proceed from faith 
is going to come under the wrath of God because it's sinful. And by wrath of God, what we mean by that is if God didn't care, if God wasn't love, there would be no wrath. In glory, when we're there, there will be no wrath for all of it will be perfected. We will live as though uh, perfect. And this is just our training ground. But Christ is calling us there. And he's showing what righteousness and unrighteousness look like. So unrighteousness suppresses the truth. I want you to notice three repeated phrases in this difficult second half. So we've gone from the goodness bit which was great, good start, Paul, 10 out of 10, and now suddenly he just launches like, he's like Mike Tyson in his heyday, right? He's fists of fury here. He says, they have clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, what verse am I in? Verse 20. In the things that have been made, that they are without excuse. This is where the atheists go wrong in our day. Everything is designed to point to a creator. Everything. They are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul is talking about idolatry at this point. The deliberate denial of God despite all the evidence, despite all of the evidence. So then he goes into this, therefore, verse 24, God gave them up. Notice in verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up. Then he says again in verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, guess what? God gave them up again. David Bentley Hart actually uses words like, um, handed over and delivered and surrendered. It's like, a, it's like God is saying, okay, if you want to go down that path, I will give you over to the consequences of that decision. I will give you over. I will surrender you. I will hand you over. I will deliver. Sounds like an Amazon delivery driver. But it's giving over of something. Live with the consequences. And the consequences... Among the Gentile world, by the way, if you read through the Old Testament, God's people are guilty of all of this as well. None of this is new. Psalm 81 verse 12. Let me just find that. Psalm 81 verse 12. Let me read what it says there. Psalm 81 12. In my, in my Bible, the title is, Oh, that my people would listen to me. <laughs> Psalm 81 12. Well, let's start with verse 11. Now, let's start with verse 10. Oh, no. I'm in a spiral back to verse 1. Verse 10. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. Verse 12. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts. This is the same principle. For this reason, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. 
and verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. So what do we have? We have heart, mind, and emotions, all of them gone, all of them given over. And, and when, you, when you break the moral laws of the universe, which is what sinning is, you live with inevitable consequences, don't you? I and mean, we've all been there. All of us have been there. That's why we sing about how magnificent our salvation is. But we've all made those mistakes that were frankly stupid. Why do we do it? Paul will get to this in Romans 7. I don't know why I do the things I do, he says. I don't know why I don't do the things I know I should do. It's like he's in complete turmoil at this point. He's racking his brains and his heart and his mind. But God has given them over. So God's wrath, when we read these three sections of giving over, kind of sounds like our society, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like the Western world is deliberately saying no to God and pursuing other agendas, shall we say. God is giving us as a culture over when we celebrate the things that should not be celebrated, when we worship the things that should not be worshipped, instead of God, our Creator, and our Maker, and our Redeemer. He will give us over, and that's what wrath looks like. But it's also more than that. It's not just a, that's your decision, off you go. God's wrath will kind of follow them as well, down to the bottom of the barrel. And He will say, when they're there, God, where are you? It's like, I'm just here, but I told you over there, this is what you shouldn't be doing. So people are without excuse. And that's why Paul says, I am not ashamed of this gospel. It is the power of God, because it's the only power that can rescue our society. It can rescue my dark heart and your dark heart, and your dark passions, and your dark mind. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Then, of course, I'm going to finish with this. We get to the, the bit where we're included. Because we might be thinking, well, the loss of my heart to impurity and dishonoring of my body. I, don't, I haven't done that. What about God giving up to dishonorable passions? Women exchanging unnatural relations that are contrary to... Ne- well, I haven't done that. And then... Well, what about a debased mind doing what, well, maybe sometimes, but then Paul unpacks what a debased mind looks like. Maybe one or two of you could shout out bingo when I get to the end of this list to see if you have a full house. Listen to this. This is what idolatry looks like. This is what unrighteousness looks like. This is what denial of God looks like. This is what those who pervert God's truth look like and act like. Paul actually begins, it doesn't say this in the NIV tragically, verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. What does it say in the NIV at that point, verse 29? Pardon? Wickedness, which is the same thing as unrighteousness, but the word is unrighteousness. And Paul is making that point because he's going to repeat that phrase a couple of times in chapter 2 and chapter 3. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness. Anyone ever coveted anything? Uh Uh-huh. Should we continue? It's uncomfortable, isn't it? Praise God for his word, though. 
Praise God for his word. Because it's the truth of things. They were full of envy. Tick. Murder. In my heart, definitely tick. Strife. Tick. I won't say tick for everyone. Deceit. Maliciousness. They are gossips. That's going to take out all of us, just on its own. They are slanderers. They are haters of God. By the way, this is why the Bible, the New Testament, is so strong on this stuff. We're all guilty of this. And when we do those things in unrighteousness and wickedness, we are demonstrating our hatred of God himself. And that's why God comes after us again and again. These things do not require faith. None of them do. But the righteous shall live by faith. Or more accurately, those whom Christ has made righteous will live by faith. So where did we get to? We're only halfway through that little list. Gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty. That's a horrible word. Boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish. That word was repeated up there in verse 22. They're foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Bingo! I mean, I've been saved by Jesus Christ for a reason. And here it is. This is the reason. You've been saved if you are a Christian here today. From this stuff. From this stuff. Though they knew God's decree that those who practice things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give full approval to those who practice them. I've got a little note here that says death is the embodiment of of idolatry. These things lead to death. That's why Jesus had to die, and Paul will come to that and unpack why Romans 16 and 17 is the key verse of the whole book. Read the whole of Romans. Read, bless that man on his loud motorbike. Read the book of Romans through the lens of those two verses through the lens of the Jewish-Gentile tension, because in various places, Paul addresses the Jews, then he addresses the Gentiles. He's been addressing the Gentiles in this passage. He's now, in chapter 2, about to launch into his critique of the Jews. And he's going to end by saying in chapter 3, never mind the Jews, never mind the Gentiles, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And through the resurrection of Christ, he hasn't abandoned us even if he has handed us over, because there is room always, 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 always for the repentant heart to return. Praise God. Father, may your word be true, and every one of us, Lord, a liar. Lord, you love us, and you have pursued us. Father, for those who haven't quite grasped the truth and power of your gospel, Lord, I pray that you would open those doors and let the light pour in. And Father, as we continue in this series, Lord, I pray that you would give us courage that we too, Lord, in our day, in our circles of influence, in our lives and our families, would not be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God 
for salvation to everyone who believes. We worship you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.